But we're going to move into the next portion of our service, which is our sermon. And so before we get there, we want to tell you a little bit about what we're doing as a church. We are going through the Bible in five years period of time. And we invite you on this journey with us. And there's a number of ways that you can do that. At the information desk are the breakouts of all of our readings for the entirety of the year. And you are welcome. I mean, we ask for a donation to cover costs for it, but if you don't have a donation, we want you to have one of these so that you can follow along with us. And what happens is, and we have these notebooks. How many of you are note takers? Raise your hand if you're a note taker, because there's a number of you that are through these readings here, or you can go to YouTube, and we actually do devotionals based upon those readings. We read the actual scripture and do devotionals based upon those readings. And you can go to our YouTube channel, which is at youtube.com backslash Heights Christian Church, and you can subscribe there, and six days a week, those readings are there for you guys to follow along and to grow in your faith and understanding in Jesus Christ. And right now, we're in the book of Exodus, and we're in a very familiar passage of Scripture. And this, um, this sermon is titled, Bad Examples. How many of you have learned from bad examples? Raise your hand. How many of you have been a bad example for other people to learn from? Raise your hand. Some of you are raising both hands and your feet. I don't know why, but still. I will tell you, how many of you took, you know, you go to your driver's license. How many of you got a driver's license? Raise your hand. How many of you want a driver's license and haven't got one yet? Raise your hand. One of the biggest deterrents for me concerning driving poorly were those videos that they showed of all the people who drove recklessly and then you see the mangled wreckage of their cars, right? And you hear their stories that are there. And I want to tell you something. To this day, that's a horror story for me. I have gotten in people's car before and they have drove driven very recklessly, okay? They'll drive super fast down the highway, and you're just like hanging on for dear life. And I learned a lesson from that. My lesson is I love you as a brother or sister in Christ. I will never ride with you again. (laughs) I value my life too much to put it on display like that in waiting for something to happen to me. So we all learn from different lessons. Sometimes we learn from good examples, but we also learn from bad examples. Today we're going to be discussing an incredibly bad example. And as a matter of fact, the Bible talks to us concerning bad examples as well. Uh, If you have your Bibles with you, if you'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to look at the first seven verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 together. says this, for I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea, talking about what we've been talking about through the book of Exodus. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people 
sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. Matter of fact, we read that this week in Exodus 32. And so we see right here, Paul writing in the New Testament about the account that we've read this past week because we read from Exodus 31 to Exodus 34. How many of you read this week? Got it all read? Awesome. Not a lot to read this week, but a lot of lessons to learn from it. And what I find very interesting is we see in Scripture that these things are not just there, but they're examples to us so that we will not fall into the same bad things that they became a part of. That's, that's what makes the Bible very unique, is that it doesn't just show the good things that happen to God's people, it shows the bad things that happen to God's people. And God says, pay attention, not just to the good, but to the bad. Pay attention to the good things that you emulate them, and pay attention to the bad things so that you don't do those things. It's okay to say don't. And no, and you shouldn't do that. So let's read a very famous account that I think that if we we look at the context of it, after we read this account and put this in context, we're going to realize just how bad this episode really is. We know it's bad. All of us have heard of this account, the golden calf, but as we've been walking through Exodus, I pray that you guys will get a new insight as to how bad this really is and open your eyes to something that maybe you don't recognize that's happening in today's society. Exodus chapter 32. We're going to read from verse 1 all the way through chapter 33 and verse 6. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. And Aaron answered, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what, it, what they handed to him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterwards they sat down to eat and drink and they got up to indulge in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, go down, because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses. They are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation." But Moses sought the favor of the Lord as God. O Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people, whom you brought up out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger. Relent and do not bring this disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham. 
Isaac, and Israel, whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land, and, and I, I promise them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring upon his people the disaster he had threatened. Moses turned and went down to the mountain with the two tablets of testimony in his hand. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, there's a sound of war in the camp. Moses replied, it's not the sound of victory. It's not the sound of defeat. It's the sound of singing that I hear. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them into pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf they had made and burned it in the fire. And he ground it into powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. And he said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? Do not be angry, my Lord. Aaron answered, you know how prone to evil these people are. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I told him, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. And then they gave me the gold and I threw it into the fire. And how came this calf? Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control so to become a laughingstock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance to the camp and said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. And then he said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, each man strap a sword to his side. Go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. And the Levites did as Moses commanded. And that day about 3,000 of the people died. Then Moses said, you have been set apart to the Lord today. For you were against your own sons and brothers and he has blessed you this day. The next day Moses said to the people, you've committed a great sin. But now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, oh what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. The Lord replied to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go and lead these people to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. And the Lord struck the people with a plague because of what they did with the calf that Aaron had made. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people who brought you up out, the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go for you even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. 
it's an account that we read, that we've known about. It's a story that's been shared throughout the Word of God. But as we've been going through the book of Exodus together, I want you to understand exactly what's going on here. You guys remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about Moses leading the people to the mountain of God. And as they camped there, and the holy fire of God was there, and he said, nobody come to this place. I'm going to make your, you make yourself holy to be around me. And then God spoke to the multitude of the people from the mountain above, thundering out the Ten Commandments. See, remember, we talked about how the Ten Commandments were spoken directly by God to the people of Israel. We sometimes overlook that. God had spoken from heaven to the point that the people of Israel are like, oh, please, have Moses speak for you. We're terrified of the voice of God coming down from the mountain. And then we see them sanctifying themselves before the Lord. Having a sacrifice and a blood offering that they sanctify the things that they have created for God so they might worship God and that the blood was poured over the people. And afterwards, the elders of Israel went and had a feast before the Lord in His presence. They saw God. Exodus 24. Moses is up on the mountain now. He's been gone for 40 days. These people whom Moses has led out of Egypt have walked through the Red Sea with walls of water on both sides. They have seen the plagues of the firstborn, the plague of hail, the plague of boils, the plague of everything, the times in which God made distinction between Israel and Egypt to let them know that God was truly for them. They have seen all of these things, have heard from God directly, do not make gods out of idols, do not make idols and cast idols for yourself. That's what they heard from the thundering words of God from the mountain. This wasn't hearsay, secondhand information. This was all the glory of God being revealed to the people of Israel. And beforehand, in Exodus 19, we will follow the Lord. We will do everything that He says. This was just committed 40 days ago. 40 days. They're coming out of Egypt and the time that it took for all these plagues to take place and the people of Israel to see miracle after miracle after miracle of God. To see the holy presence of God, to hear His very words, to have the elders, including Aaron, stand before God and feast. A mere 40 days. Make us idols. As for Moses, we don't know what's happened to him. Do you guys realize how grievous a sin that is? How terrible that is? They saw all of those things. 
And there are people today who have the goal and the audacity to say, if God would just do a miracle for me, I would believe. If God would just do blank for me to show me that he exists, I would believe. I can show you the propensity or the, the, uh, the testimony throughout the scripture of God showing himself so clearly and they still didn't believe. They've heard the voice of God. They've seen God with his eyes. They've watched all the miracles of deliverance. And here a mere 40 days afterwards while Moses is up on the mountain being told of God, gather up all these materials for this worship place that I'm going to have for you to do down off of the mountain. They're gathering worship materials to fashion an idol calf that they're going to say, this is the God that brought you up out of Egypt. Don't believe that if I just have enough evidence, I'll believe. Because there'll never be enough evidence. There'll never be enough evidence. I'm not saying there's not good evidence for belief in God. I'm not saying there's not enough evidence for belief in Jesus Christ. I believe that there is. But let's not fool ourselves to think that you will not give yourself an unbelieving heart and not believe what is placed before you. And besides, it's the Holy Spirit that draws you in. Do you understand the grievous sin? Moses gets down from the mountain after 40 days with all of that just happening and sees them in revelry, worshiping among an idol that Aaron was too scared to take credit for because they fashioned it. But when he tells Moses, what do he say? We just put the gold in there. How came this? I don't know how that happened. And Aaron was in the place of Moses to lead the people. And he was leading them straight into idolatry. And why did he do it? Because he was scared of the people. They wanted this. And Aaron, seeing how they're a stiff-necked people, he said, okay, give me your stuff. We'll make this idol. Now we'll start worshiping. Didn't even appeal to, didn't you hear God's voice? Didn't you hear him say directly, do not make an idol for yourself out of things of this earth? Out of an image of anything on earth or in heaven? Did you not hear that? No, I'm going to listen to God. I'm not going to listen to you guys. But he was afraid from the people. And so he gave instruction to do something else and then had the audacity to say, we're going to have a festival unto the Lord. He uses God's name, Yahweh. We're going to have a festival unto the Lord to this calf that God had nothing to do with, wanted nothing to do about, had already instructed the people directly not to have anything to do about it. But you know what? The people were stiff-necked. They wanted to do what they wanted to do. And it took a mighty intercession by Moses in order to stay God's hand from destroying the people of Israel right then and there. 
And Moses comes down from the mountain after interceding and he sees the grievous sin and he's mad, he's heartbroken. He throws the tablets that God has written his holy word on. He grounds this idol that they have worshipped into powder and throws it on the water and forces the people to drink it. I'm pretty sure that's not healthy for you. His heart's broken for the sin of the people who have been deceived and who have been deceivers, drawing people away. Guys, I don't know if you understand how similar that is to the times in which we're living right now. We just started a month that is an abomination to God that our culture is celebrating. And guess what? At every turn, whether it's a television show or a commercial or you're walking into a department store, every place they go, there is this this loud voice that is telling you, you have to worship at the altar of what the government and what the entertainment industry and what everybody else is telling you. You have to say that this is acceptable and right and true and good and holy. And too many Christians right now are buckling under that pressure. And not saying, but God says this. God created male and female. God created for the purpose of marriage. God created the family so that there might be procreation. They might raise up godly children. All of that is out the window. And you're going to hear for the next 30 days, 27 days, 26 days. I can't do math this morning. It's okay. This great propaganda of these mighty people who are telling you, not through any argumentation, not through any scriptural debate, but just trying to silence you into agreement with them. That these are your gods, O people of America, that you must bow down to. And don't think it's any other way. Because saying no to it is the fearfulness that every single Christian has. That some have experienced. Because we say no to it. We have family members who are caught up in that lifestyle. We say no to it. We have co-workers who we work alongside caught up in that lifestyle. We have friends that we worry about losing. Because if we stand for the truth of God's word, it's come to a point now in our culture where it's really starting to cost you and I something. And the question comes down to, if you've been here for any length of time, like, why are you mentioning this so much? Because the culture mentions it all the time! These are the gods of the culture that you're fighting. If I'm silent about it, how do you defend yourselves? Because the Word of God is not silent about it. How do we stand when you and I are fearful of what will come if we stand against the gods of this age and all the displays and the parades that are going to come in the next 30 days that you and I are going to be inundated with? 
and every commercial that comes on TV and every placating theme that we have to endure in our workplace. So easy to say nothing. It's so easy to just go along with the crowd. Because they don't make an argument based upon the scriptures or from reason. They simply bludgeon you with the message again and again and again. And they add the ending phobic. See, it's been used for a little over 20 years, whether you believe it or not. The word phobic has been added to every agenda that people have not wanted you to say anything about, starting all the way back at 9-11. You guys remember 9-11, right? Some of you were alive for that. Some of you have only read about it in history books. That's kind of wild for me to think about, but it's true. But then if you'll remember when they started saying, well, we're going to have to have airport security and we're going to have all this other stuff and we can't target certain people because of they, they might fall under a certain religion and they might be bent toward this very type of jihadist activity that caused 9-11 to begin with. Therefore, if you had any reservations about that type of terrorism taking place, you were called Islamophobic. Didn't have anything to do with whether you agreed or disagreed with their religion or the people in general or you believed wholeheartedly that most of those people do not profess that type of extremist ideology. All of that went out the window. It wasn't a matter of, about debate anymore. It was a matter of silencing dissent. And they've added that to every cause that they have wanted to promote. Have you noticed that? So if you say anything about this, and anything that happens this month, you're going to be what? Homophobic, right? Or transphobic, right? Because they've just added phobic to the end of everything for the purpose of silencing. It's what happened to the people of Israel when they wanted to make a calf idol, and they come to Aaron. What are they wanting him to do? They don't want him to disagree. They want him to totally agree, and he caves to the pressure. Because we're worried about the cost if we stand for the truth. Nothing new. What happened during Moses' day happened during Jesus' day. It comes with a warning for you and me. Let's take a look at it together. John chapter 15. Starting in verse 18, and we'll go to verse 25. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. 
If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles and yet have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. Did you notice what Jesus said in all of this section of Scripture? The world is going to hate you. The world is going to persecute you because of Christ. If I had not come, Jesus' words, not mine, and done the very things that nobody else had done, said the things that nobody else had said, if I had not done these things, they would not be guilty of sin, but I have done these things, and I have shown them all these miracles, and they still don't believe. It's not about evidence. Jesus shows all the miracles, and they still don't believe. They end up crucifying him. Moses is leading the people out of, out, of, out of Egypt, and they see all these miracles. They get to see the mountain of God, and they see the, the person of God in some cases with the elders that are there. They hear his voice that understands, you are not supposed to do this. And they still, within 40 days, have abandoned everything about God to go their own way. It's not about evidence. And for most people, their unbelief in Jesus Christ has nothing to do with evidence that's there, but a lifestyle they wish to live, that they know that if they take the Word of God seriously, the person of Jesus Christ, if He really rose from the dead and said the things that He said, and that that brings them to an understanding that, oh my goodness, that means there's a day of judgment. That if I don't get things right by accepting Jesus' sacrifice and starting to follow Him and understanding that He paid that price for me, the great grace given to you and me, But I don't understand that I, that needs to happen. I spend eternity justly condemned in hell. But I love my sin too much to call it sin. So I'll call it love. I'll call it my choice. I'll call it anything but the condemning thing that God says it is that Jesus came to die for. I'll even call it holy. And you and I as believers in Christ, that's what makes it hard. We're in a hard time right now. We're not in an easy time. It doesn't look like it's going to get any easier anytime soon. Stand up and say that that's sin when the world wants to celebrate it. To stand up and say, I love you so much, I don't want you to go to hell, but you have to understand that that sin and my sin, I'm not any better, would send me to hell if not for Jesus Christ, if not for His great grace that He has given through His sacrifice on the cross. But it demands that I both believe in His death and resurrection and follow Him. To repent, to turn away, to realize that these are the things that Jesus died for. How can I any longer live in them and say that I'm honoring my Lord and Savior? And I know it's something we deal with. 
We don't want to admit that we deal with this. We don't want to admit that these things are, are a struggle for us. But the truth of the matter is, the reason these bad examples are written down for you and me is because we're so easy to fall into them. Even as believers in Jesus Christ, the person I fight with most is that man in the mirror that every day I look at and I have to kill myself. I have to die to myself to do the things that God wants me to do. You know why? Because me, in my own person, apart from Jesus Christ, wants to do everything opposite. I know what my life was like before Jesus. And I know that those sins still want to hound me and bite at my heels and just tempt me to want to follow in those things on a daily basis just because I'm a pastor. Don't think that that doesn't happen. And I know what happens to you too. And it's hard. Because that passage in 1 Corinthians ends this way. 1 Corinthians 10 verses 11 through 13 is this. These things, talking about what we're reading with the, the, the golden calf. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us. On whom the fulfillment of the agents has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Be careful, those of you brothers and sisters in Christ. Be careful about the sins that are all around you right now that are going to be tempting you to be quiet, that are going to be tempting you to conform to its image. Be careful thinking that you'll never fall into something like that. I can talk to you about scores of people that I've talked to that have found themselves in sins they never dreamt they, they would be a part of, all because they thought they stood strong with God and immediately compromised, and culture, and friends, and peer pressure, and everything drove them back away from God into places they never thought they'd be. Don't think it can't happen to you, believer in Christ. And there's some comfort in this too. See, I don't hold hatred for people who are tempted. Because the scripture says no temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to man. I have my frailties. I know what they are. And I know other people deal with those frailties. I know you have frailties. You know what they are. And other people deal with your frailties too. You're not alone in that. But God is faithful. You're not living in an age in which you cannot stand up and resist that. He has given you the spirit of Christ for those of you a believer in Jesus Christ. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. But we have to stand and trust and believe That he is greater. That means we have to live like he's greater too. And that means I want to be around Jesus so much that people can hear Jesus' words around me so easily just because they're so natural for me to share. I want to be in his words so much that I, I know more and more about Jesus and less and less about this world so that I don't 
care about casting judgment on when the world is going astray. Because I really just want to serve my Lord. But I know the temptation. I know the worry. I know the parents and the grandparents who are here. I know the brothers and sisters. I know the friends who are here because the lifestyle choices that are going to be promoted for this next month have been promoted so well, we probably all know multiple people who have fallen into this lifestyle. And it threatens us to be able to say anything bad about it. We've got to love Jesus more. More than this world. More than their opinions. We have to believe that if they're still walking in that way, they're destined for a hell that Jesus died that they would not have to experience. We should be heartbroken over what's happening to them and maybe even what's happening to us. That we would repent and turn away and we would want to see them to come to faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But that temptation for you and me to stay silent in the face of this onslaught is so easy to fall into. Because I feel it too. I just want to love Jesus more. And I want those around me whom I'm worried about their opinion of me. I want to care more about Jesus than them because Jesus cares more for them than they'll ever know. I don't know about you. I feel the weight of the societal change on a daily basis. But I can promise you this. Two great things. Number one is this, and I want you to know this. Scriptural truth, 100%. Jesus knew you were going to live during this time. It's not by accident, like, oh, I thought things were going, oh, man, I don't think they were ready for that. Acts 17 says he knew the exact times and places for which not just you, but everybody else around here was born. Why? So that men might reach out and grope for him and perhaps find him, though he's not far from each one of us. There's a reason that you are born during this time, during this very hard time. You are to be a witness to God during this time, this hard time. You know why? Because He knew you were born during this time, prepared you for during this time, and you are uniquely equipped to reach this culture and generation for Jesus. But if you're quiet, who will know? That means you and I have to take the chance of being offensive to other people in order to give the gift of life through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And not succumb to the temptation. That's the first thing I want to share with you. First, great hope. And the second, I already did. He who is in you is already greater than he who is in the world. If Christ be for us, then who can be against us? 
you and I need to start walking in that victory in Jesus Christ. And we'll start seeing a culture change one person at a time as we're boldly proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, though they hate us, though they persecute us, though they don't like anything that we're saying. It's not because they hate us, they hate him. We just need to love him more. Would you stand with me? Usually there's some sort of direction I try to give the praise team when they're coming up for a song. Sam, you got free reign. God has you right where he wants you. You are here in this culture at this time, in this, in this very important time where cultural change is happening and becoming harder because God wants you to stand firm in him. He does. Not compromise. Not be like the people of Israel who so quickly forget the God who saved them and brought them out. I'm going to ask our elders to come forward. We're not better than you. We just want to pray with you. If there's anything you want to pray about, if there's a commitment you want to make to stand firmer with God, if there is an opportunity for you right now to say, I've been making every excuse not to follow God, but now I realize that my excuse is not really intellectual. It's just because I don't want to. And you want to give that up today and start following Jesus. We invite you to come. We implore you to come. No judgment here. You know why? Because we all had to make that same decision. Every single one of us still have to on a daily basis. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for this time. Thank you that we can learn from good and bad examples. Thank you, dear Heavenly Father, for living in such a hard time as this. And it doesn't come by, you know, it's not a surprise to you. You've placed us here uniquely during this time that we might affect the world around us for Jesus Christ. But help us to stand firm, not to be afraid of persecution. That might come from family or friends because we stand on the truth. Because you, oh Lord Jesus, are our only hope and their only hope. And if we're quiet about that, how shall they ever know of a great salvation that we've received as there for them as well? Help us be bold, both in our proclamation and in our love and in our undeterring uh, commitment to the truth, no matter what it costs us. Thank you, dear Heavenly Father. If there's any that say that do not know you, may they make that decision to begin this journey, to come to know you, to have their questions answered, and to come honestly before the throne of grace that they might receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Thank you, dear Heavenly Father, for our time together. This edifying time, help us as bold witnesses go out into a world that does not know you and proclaim the love of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.